Acts chapter 15. To readers of the Bible, you should know that the 15th chapter of Acts is about the great council that took place at Jerusalem where some issues were settled about the burdens to be laid on the Gentile converts. Acts chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem. The maps that I distributed to you tonight, I hope that you'll bring with you in future Sunday evenings so that we can look at them together just to keep track of our brother Paul in his extensive travels so that the names in these chapters from chapter 13 all the way to the end of the book of Acts will not be lost on you, but you'll see an approximate location for each of them and the extent of his travels. I think it will help you in your understanding of the remainder of this book. We're going to cover Paul making four trips. After Acts 15, we have four trips in which he preaches the gospel and finally ends up in Rome in the very last of the book. But let's come to Acts chapter 15 tonight. This is a chapter that God's given us, and so we're going to cover it in a few minutes. I hope that you'll stay with me. God gave us these words, and so because of that, they're very important to me, and I hope very important to you. Amen. Acts 15. In Acts, in Acts chapters 13 and 14, we had Paul's first trip. A church of Gentiles had been formed at Antioch, and from that church, Paul and Barnabas had made a loop up through Cyprus and what we now call Turkey, and then back home, establishing many churches in many cities, and are now back in Antioch. And back there in Antioch, this successful Gentile church, under great blessings from God, runs into heresy. And we shouldn't be surprised at that order of events. When a people are following the Lord, it doesn't go unnoticed, because Satan is not interested in churches that have no fruit or power. Right. It's churches that have influence and where lives are being changed, where Satan is going to make attacks. And no sooner is this first great evangelistic trip of the Apostle Paul made than we read verse 1 of Acts chapter 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, brethren, it was in Antioch of Pisidia, and Antioch of Syria wasn't any different because they heard the same message where the apostles preached that eternal life was for the Gentiles, and that if they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that was evidence that they had been ordained to eternal life. And the Bible tells us that when Gentiles heard that message, according to Acts 13 and 48, they glorified the word of the Lord. And there was much rejoicing among the Gentiles. Right. And when these apostles came back to Antioch, we can read in the last part of that, for, of that 14th chapter that, they re, that the apostles rehearsed the whole matter to them, and they were all thankful for what God had done among the Gentiles. And immediately we have brethren coming from Jerusalem. Now it says they came down from Jerusalem, and I'm going to say this, I hope not too many times, but if you look at a map, Antioch of Syria is about 300 miles due north, straight north of Jerusalem. Remember, Israel is a tiny strip of land at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, 
and Antioch of Syria is directly north of it. So when it says they came down, it's because Judea is a hilly country. And they were at a higher altitude, and they came down to a seacoast city named Antioch. Certain men came from Judea and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. We call those men Judaizers. When we, when we use the word Judaizer, Andrew, what we mean by that is a man who wants to take the Jews' religion of the Old Testament and force it on believers of the New Testament. These believers of the New Testament had heard that Jesus Christ had saved them completely by himself on the cross. But these Jews came out of Jerusalem and Judea and taught that for these Gentiles to fully be saved, they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And that's a heresy. And so we read in verse 2, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Now, it wasn't a question to Paul and Barnabas. It was a question to the poor church at Antioch. If you were a Gentile convert in the early days of the church, what was the capital of the Christian religion? Jerusalem. Who were the pillars of the Christian religion? The apostles. And was Paul considered one of those pillars? Yet. Don't jump ahead. Oh, no, he wasn't. Peter, James, John, and the others were pillars. Paul was just getting established. Paul wasn't down there mingling with the apostles. He wasn't part of the original 12. He'll tell you himself that he was one as born at a due time. And so up from the city of Jerusalem come these men from Judea that are teaching reference, reverence, and obedience to the law of Moses. And this error is the number one heresy in the New Testament of your scriptures. And you run into it over and over and over again. And right now I could take ten minutes and just quickly read passages from almost all the epistles describing that heresy and how Paul had to spend so much of his time correcting it. And it's helpful for us because when you look at your Bible and stick your finger in, in the first chapter of Matthew, you know, three quarters of that Bible is Old Testament, isn't it? And one quarter is the New Testament. And did the brethren in Antioch have the New Testament? No, they didn't. They had the Old Testament. Right. And if some, if some respected Pharisees came up out of the city of Jerusalem and, Jude, and the area of Judea to the city of Antioch, they were going to be listened to. There wasn't a New Testament yet. Yes, they had heard Paul preach salvation by grace, but here these men were saying, you also need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Dangerous heresy. And Paul spends much of the New Testament combating it. For instance, the book of Galatians. The whole book, one subject, from the first verse to the last verse, one subject. We are justified by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God and not by the works of the law. Right. Circumcision does not save us, but the grace of God through Jesus Christ. A whole epistle. And other epistles make mention of it also. Paul has to warn Timothy and Titus about Jewish fables and men pretending to be teachers of the law who were teaching errors. A, a, a huge error in the New Testament church promoted by Pharise converted Pharisees 
who wanted to hold on to the traditions of the elders, who could not let go of tradition. And their tradition was God's tradition, the tradition of Moses. Very difficult to let go. We have the whole book of Hebrews written by Paul to take those converted Jews and not let them slide back into Moses' law, but to keep them in the grace of Christ. So here we have these poor Gentiles confused. And Paul and Barnabas dissented with them and disputed with them, and I hope that we would. You know, when the Bible says in Jude, verse 3, that we ought to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, are you all prepared that that's a Christian duty? To earnestly contend? Earnestly means passionately and fervently and intensely. To contend means to fight. Are you convicted enough about the truth that you hate error? I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. That is a Christian spirit. And Paul and Barnabas had it. But these poor Gentile converts, they want Paul and Barnabas to go up to Jerusalem along with a few others to check with the apostles about this question. You can understand their shakiness. They don't have the book of Romans to appeal to. Paul's going to write the book of Romans in another 10 or 20 years. Do you understand the difficulty? And so Paul and Barnabas are sent by this church up to Jerusalem to settle this matter. And being brought, verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenice and Samaria. Phoenice, the land of the Phoenicians, there along the Mediterranean coast, working their way down into Samaria and then into Judea, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Paul and Barnabas didn't waste their time in that 300-mile trip. They stopped everywhere they could and told of what they had done in the, the, land, the areas that, and the cities that we found in chapters 13 and 14. And the brethren rejoiced at God's great work among the Gentiles. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. They get down to Jerusalem. Paul's been there before. Do you remember? What was the second church he joined? The church at Jerusalem. Did he need help joining that church? Yes, Barnabas had to verify his conversion because they didn't exactly trust Saul of Tarsus asking for membership in the Jerusalem church. And then he had been down there again at the end of chapter 11 when Agabus had come up to Antioch from Jerusalem and said there was going to be a great dearth. So he'd been there a couple times, but not long. If you go look, that second time was just delivering some money. The first time, we're told, 15 days. He had not been there long, but the church receives him, and the apostles and elders hear him out, and he declares all things that God had done with them, that is, with Paul and Barnabas. And God had done many things, many miracles and mighty signs and wonders. And that was the confirming evidence to a Jew that God was in the matter. And so they declared all that. But now look what it tells us where this error, this heresy originated. But all this joy and excitement about God's blessing upon Paul and Barnabas, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. When a man is converted out of an error as a pastor, I'm going to be very careful, and you as church members need to be very careful, that we stay observant about the error that that particular man's been converted out of. Because 
Errors of long establishment in a human heart are difficult to get rid of. And these Pharisees had been converted. It says we're going to trust the word of God because this council is going to end up with a unanimous opinion. Right. I like that. That's, that's how councils ought to end up, with a unanimous opinion. Isn't that exciting? Amen. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed the straightest sect of the Jews' religion, the most conservative element of the Jewish nation, what Paul had been part of, rose up and said, Christ is not enough. That it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that said the Jews made proselytes like no other people on the planet? They would compass land and sea just to make one proselyte to the Jewish, Jewish religion. And here these Pharisees, Paul is not just getting one. Paul has thousands of the Gentiles converted, and these Jews can see the spreading of the tradition of their religion if they can force circumcision and keeping of the law on these Gentile converts. And so here we have a very touchy situation in the city of Jerusalem with the apostles and elders, with these Pharisees standing up, clamoring for additions to be made to the grace of Christ. That it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Paul has gone and preached in city after city. He has turned the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles. He has told them that salvation is by grace these Gentiles have rejoiced. Remember Acts 13, two, nights, two Sunday nights ago? Amen. Wasn't it wonderful Amen. to try to imagine being in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia when the Apostle Paul unloads that bomb on you? Glorious night. We had here and they had there. Amen. We had it here thinking about what they had there. Amen. And because we had the Spirit here that they had there. Amen. It was wonderful. But now, think of the Apostle Paul and all those simple believers, new converts, no New Testament. And here comes an influence out of Jerusalem that they need to be circumcised. You Gentiles, you uncircumcised Gentiles, you need to be circumcised so that you look like Moses, uh, Abraham and his descendants, and you better keep the law of Moses, which was given by God on Mount Sinai. Otherwise, you cannot be saved. Can you imagine the trouble that it would cause to their hearts and the trouble that it would cause to the Apostle Paul who had baptized them and converted them by the preaching of the gospel? Amen. Verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, interesting, isn't it, that even in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, with all the apostles there, with Paul and Barnabas there, with the Holy Spirit there, there was much disputing because error had been allowed to come in and it will come in. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen: there must be heresies among us that they which are approved may be made manifest. Heresies will come, brethren. The only way that you can protect yourself in this church is to examine yourself regularly and to seek God every day of your life. If we let these things slip, or we are not sober and vigilant, the devil will work a heresy into our midst. Amen. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. By the Holy Ghost, brethren, this, this particular 
council wasn't operating by Robert's rules of, of order. It's operating by the Holy Ghost. We're going to find that out at the end. When they write the resolution, you'll know what had been moving the principal players in this council. Peter stands up. Now, Peter wasn't always as bold as he should be. And on this matter, Peter wasn't as bold as he should be. If you go read Galatians chapter 2, you'll find out in this matter, Peter compromised after this council. Briefly, because the Apostle Paul corrected him, but Paul had to correct him to his face. The best of men are but men at their best. It, ca- it, it should cause us to all humble ourselves before the Word of God and beg Him daily Amen. to save us from the deceitfulness of our own hearts Amen. and the fear of our own minds, because we're all fearful by nature. Mm-hmm. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And by these words, Peter is referring back to Acts chapter 10 and him going to the household of Cornelius and them hearing the gospel and believing it. And he goes on further to explain that. If you'll remember from our study so far, and I'm sorry, but this is how I'm going to proceed through these chapters, is to read a verse and to comment on it and go to the next verse. I don't know how else to do it. I'm sure there's other ways, and I'm sure that you could help me with those other ways, but this is the way I've chosen to do it for right now. I want you to remember that in Acts chapter 10, we have the conversion of the household of Cornelius. But what's the first half of chapter 11 spent? Peter defending himself in Jerusalem to others about that event. So it's been repeated twice. And now we're going to have it repeated here for the third time in brief. Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. What he's doing in that eighth verse is saying, God, who knows the hearts of all men, has confirmed these Gentile converts, the ones that I preach to, by giving them the Holy Spirit that we got in Acts 2, they got in Acts 10. Made no difference between them. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. How did he purify their hearts by faith? By giving them faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how your heart is made pure. The book of Hebrews describes that purification of heart by faith and that the sprinkling of the blood of the animals of the Old Testament never got the job done. But the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ did by giving us a good conscience because it's in baptism that we give God the answer of that good conscience that's been purified by faith. God gives us the gift of faith by which we lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ that purifies our heart from all false pretenses to how we're going to get saved. And God gave them that faith, putting no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles because in just a few minutes of preaching, according to Acts 10, Cornelius and his whole household were full of the Holy Ghost rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being baptized. And Peter is reviewing all of that for the first Gentile converts. And now here's what he says in his summary. Now therefore, why tempt ye God? To tempt God is to reject what he has shown or written and try to add your own 
rules or regulations or ideas unto it. Why tempt ye God? God knows the hearts of all men. God gave his Holy Spirit as a witness that there was no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Now, why are you tempting God to put something on them that the Lord didn't put on them? Because Cornelius received the Holy Ghost uncircumcised. That's all implied. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? And when he uses the word disciples here, he means the Gentile converts. Why do you want to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now, that's good, Peter. That, that's a great verse about the value of the law. Our fathers couldn't bear it, and we couldn't bear it. It was too hard. All it did is prove that we were all sinners. Amen. Now, why do you want to put that burden on these Gentile converts? Our fathers couldn't handle it, and neither could we. Right. But we believe. Listen to this. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Amen. And the Apostle Peter here reverses the order right. and says that we Jews are trusting in the same means of salvation of those Gentiles, and that is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Does that sound, does that ring any bells from this morning? Old Testament, New Testament alike, salvation is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we may look at Peter from time to time and see his impetuous, fearful nature, I want you to hear words like this. He stood up first. He stood up in the, in the middle of a lot of disputation by the Holy Ghost. And I would say that for the few words chosen, he just said a lot. Yep. He's brought to bear the fact that he was the one that God chose to be the first one to preach to Gentiles. They heard the gospel. They believed it. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And why in the world would we want to stick the law on them anyway? We couldn't keep it. And we all believe that we're going to be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as they. Amen. Beautiful. Amen. Beautiful. That is... That is preaching by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Brethren, don't let anyone ever tell you that there was one way of salvation for the Jews in the Old Testament and a new way of salvation for us Gentiles in the New Testament. Here's the verse that you go to. You want to know where to go in the Bible? This is a go-to verse. This is one of the chief go-to verses on that issue of salvation under both, both Testaments. Right here. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. How were the saints in the Old Testament saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when they'd never heard of him? By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Amen. Isn't that what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9? Beautiful. Then all the multitude kept silence. I like that when the Holy Spirit speaks. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. The whole place was hushed. And, and really... How long would it take me to read verses 7 down through verse 11? About 45 seconds. Now, we don't know that that was the whole extent of his remarks, but this is all that the Holy Ghost has left for us. But it wasn't long, and the place is hushed. Peter has just told them, I was the one chosen by God to be the vessel to preach the gospel first to the Gentiles. I did it. I witnessed it firsthand. God sent his Holy Spirit. He made no difference between them and us. They purified their hearts by faith in Jesus Christ, just as we. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. We believe that by the grace of Jesus Christ, we're going to be saved just like they. Amen. And he's quiet. And the multitude's quiet. 
and they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now notice at this point, Barnabas and Paul are not theologians called upon by the apostles in Jerusalem. They are not giving a theological explanation for things. Barnabas and Paul have a place, and it's not the chief place in Jerusalem. Their place is to testify something that Jews look for to know if God's in a matter or not. And what is it? Signs. Signs and wonders. Paul and Barnabas declared what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And there were witnesses there. Remember, we read up here in verse 2 that Barnabas and Paul and certain others, certain others, certain others would be able to help them with their testimony of what Barnabas and Paul had been able to do. And so here they are testifying and declaring that God had performed mighty miracles by their ministry, which to a Jew was enough. One verse about Paul and Barnabas. If you want to know Paul's real attitude about those in positions of authority, you can go to Galatians chapter 2 and find out that those that seem to have a reputation in conference didn't mean much to me. God respecteth no man's person. There's a balance, brethren. When you read a place like this, Paul takes his place. It's a small place. He declares what God had done by him, but he didn't try to overthrow or influence this council because this was an apostolic council where the pillars of Jerusalem were the heavyweights. And they were the heavyweights by God's order. Right. Paul would become more and more of a heavyweight by God's blessing upon him. And so we have a New Testament that's written today primarily by Paul. Paul. And he magnifies his office as the, as, the, as the apostle to the Gentiles. But I want you to notice that there's just one verse, and his was primarily signs and wonders. Because now we're going to have a James stand up who was the leading pillar in this church at Jerusalem and who will settle this matter by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Right. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And he goes back and he picks up what Peter said. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Amen. Simeon, Peter has told us how he was the first one for Gentile conversions for the Lord to have a people called by his name among the Gentiles. And I want to lay something on you, is what James doesn't say. He's going to lay something on them. And that's the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that it would have taken a long time to have applied to this event of Cornelius being converted if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to quote from Amos chapter 9. Why don't you hold your finger at Acts 15, come back to the book of Amos, and we want to get chapter 9. I want to read two verses from Amos chapter 9. If I told you it was the book before Obadiah, would it get you there? No. Amos 9.11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Amen. Now, if you were a Jew, you'd love those words. 
Because what it's going what it is saying is, I am going to build up the nation of Israel, the, the tabernacle of David, like it once was in the old days. It's going to be huge. And all the Gentiles and the Edomites and the heathen are going to be part of it also because they're going to be called by my name. And a Jew would just read that and what would he envision? A massive Je Jewish state rising up that the Gentiles would be part of also and it's called the house of the tabernacle of David, Jewish preeminence over the whole world. And they still believe that, don't they? And it's still taught in most Baptist churches in this city that the Gentiles are second-class citizens and the Jews are still God's chosen people. Right. And do you know what? James is about to take that prophecy and tell us that it was fulfilled when Simeon went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. Amen. Amen. Is it, yeah. By the Holy Spirit, brethren, there's no New Testament. There is no New Testament. That is a knowledge vacuum. You have the Old Testament, and who would have read Amos 9, 11, and 12 and applied it to Cornelius? And when I say a knowledge vacuum, I mean by nature. There was no New Testament. And so we have James standing up and saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. The Holy Spirit is telling him to be this bold. Hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written... After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. James explains Amos 9, 11, and 12 that we would not understand if the Holy Spirit hadn't recorded these words for us. That the conversion of Cornelius, why did it get a whole chapter in the book of Acts? Because the conversion of Cornelius was the raising up again of the tabernacle of David in God's plan. Amen. Now to a Jewish mind, what a loss. Because it didn't involve national preeminence. Because it didn't involve military successes. Because it didn't involve economic prosperity. It involved spiritual blessings in the kingdom of God like never seen before in this earth. Amen. Never. Amen. What do we have in the past? A Melchizedek here, a Job there, a Ruth, a Rahab, a few. Now look what's happening. The kingdom of God is being built and it's going to fill the whole earth. Amen. The stone cut out without hands is about to fill the whole earth. It's the kingdom of God, and David is on his throne. Amen. It just happens to be his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. And it's the tabernacle of David. And brethren, I'm not going to chase tonight through Schofield's reference Bible to show you what they do to this passage. I just want to preach to you the positive truth. I want to teach you from Acts 15, the positive truth that the fulfillment of the resurrection of the, nat the nation of Israel is fulfilled first in Cornelius and then in you and me. That we are in an assembly like this, worshiping the true God of heaven with scriptures, with ordinances, and with the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst as the reigning Son of David. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. I don't offer the Jews anything in the future. Because the Bible doesn't. Right. 
The last words I read about Jews are in Revelation 2 and 3, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, They which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Those are sober words. Twice. Revelation 2 and 3. Those people who say they are Jews, but who are not, in God's opinion, because a true Jew is a born-again child of God of either nationality, Jew or Greek. I don't have anything to offer them. I have nothing to preach tonight about some future restoration of the Jews. This is the future restoration of the Jews. It's you and me, the true Jews, with Mount Zion and a heavenly Jerusalem that is above that is the mother of us all. Brethren, I could go on. I could preach the book of Galatians right now. I'm tempted to do so, but I can't because it's going to defeat my purpose. Galatians is glorious. I love him when he gets to Galatians chapter five, uh, Galatians chapter four, and he brings up the two, the allegory, the covenant allegory. Abraham had two sons. Isaac and Ishmael. Now a Jew listening to that would get all excited. Finally, finally, the Apostle Paul is going to go back to Abraham and look at those two sons. I mean, we're the sons of Isaac. After all, we're the promised sons because we're by the free woman Sarah. I can't. Finally, Paul gets around to this allegory of those two sons of Abraham. And then Paul explains his allegory that the Jerusalem that now is is in bondage with her children and is compared to Ishmael. And what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. The, the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Amen. Brethren, we are the son of the free woman. Amen. We are like Isaac. We are the children of promise because it's God's promise. And it's not based on nationality. It's based on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is the raising up of the tabernacle of David. David is our king. Amen. You say, I always wanted to be a citizen of the nation of Israel. You are. Amen. And it's better than it's ever been. That's right. It encompasses the whole earth. Amen. Not just a little strip of sand on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Praise be to the Lord. Amen. And verse 18 is James' little addition. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Let me tell you what he means by that. There is a shocked assembly. The Holy Spirit has just anointed James to interpret those two verses. There is a group of apostles and a group of elders that are sitting there in shock at what they have just been told. And so what does James add? Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us in Ephesians chapter 3, in Ephesians chapter 2, he's going to tell us that this is a mystery kept secret from the foundation of the earth, that God was going to join Jew and Gentile together into a new kingdom. James has just laid this on them. And then he points out the fact that everything God does in time is based on his eternal counsel. And that comforted all of them. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. This is no surprise. This is not God reacting to Gentile converts. I'm not making this up, brethren. He's saying to it, he's saying to this gathered assembly, God has planned this from the beginning. We are just now figuring it out. Right. And the prophets told us about it, but here it is happening. Do you understand that? 
Known unto God are all his works. Brethren, don't, don't get nervous about what I just said. This has been planned by God from the beginning. And God will choose Paul to open it up even further in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. There's so much comfort. Isn't there comfort to all of us in so many things to know that God's planned it from the beginning? Yep, Whatever happens to you in time, God has purposed that because God, all of God's works are known unto Him from the beginning. And when God operates, He isn't operating in reaction to anything. Right. He is simply fulfilling His perfect will and His perfect plan from the beginning of the world. His conclusion. Wherefore, my sentence is, where did he get this authority? Is it because he's the Lord's brother? James, the chief pillar in Jerusalem. Listen to what he says by the Holy Ghost. This is bold. James, the son of Zebedee, is already where? He's dead. He's in heaven. This is the other James. James, the son of Elpheus, as we know him in one place. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. This is, there is so much wisdom. You want political wisdom? Read the Bible. Do you want to know how to deal with people? Read the Bible. Here he is by the Holy Ghost saying, we should write these Gentiles. We're not going to put the burden of circumcision and keeping the law of Moses on them. But there's a few matters of liberty that we should tell them to be careful in for a few years while we're in this time of reformation. And there's one matter that's not a matter of liberty, but it certainly appears to be one among the Gentiles, which we need to warn them about because they're heavily given to it. And why do we have to worry about putting the law of Moses on them? After all, don't we have synagogues in all of those cities where Moses is preached all the time? Is that wisdom? Amen. Do you understand what I just said? Amen. Isn't that exactly what he said in verse 21? For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. He comforts all these Jews with the fact, our religion is still out there. Moses' law is still being preached. Jesus Christ is going to bury it in about 20 years. Right. But until it's finally buried, James just tells them, it's still being preached out there. Let's just put these few recommendations on them in writing. We'll come, we'll come, to, them, we'll come to those words in the resolution. Verse 22 tells us, Then please that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely... Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren in Judea. What office did these two men hold? Verse 32 will tell us. What office? They were prophets. What's the first office in the New Testament church during the time of Reformation? Apostle. What was the second office? Prophets. They were chief men, wouldn't you say? Yep. They weren't apostles, but they were chief men right there next to them in office. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. And here we're reading a letter that was sent from this council at Jerusalem to the church at Antioch. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, 
subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, isn't that wonderful to be able to end a conference with those words? For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, I'm glad they agreed with the Holy Ghost, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. Isn't that a nice letter? Isn't that a, a precious letter? No circumcision, no keeping the law. You're our brethren. And we're sending a few other men to testify the same thing that you can read in writing. We have a couple witnesses there. Isn't following the scriptural pattern in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Right. We're sending Judas and Silas along with this letter, men who have hazarded their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm that this is all we have to say to you. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay just this on you. Four things. Let's look at those four things. As we look at those four things, I want to remind you about something. From 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., a period of 40 years, which Jesus referred to as a generation, was the time of Reformation. Right. Hebrews 9 and verse 10 tells us that it was the time of Reformation, which was the, the, the changing of the worship of God from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And it took 40 years. During that 40-year time period, there was speaking in tongues to confirm the ministry of fishermen. There was the gift of prophecy. Because there wasn't a New Testament, a Judas or a Silas could get up in the pulpit and simply preach to you by the inspiration of God directly. The gift of prophecy. I'm going to show you that in just a couple of verses. That Judas and Silas, when they get to Antioch, use their office and use their gift to confirm the disciples at Antioch with that supernatural power. But as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, when that which is perfect is come, when the Bible came, which is the perfect revelation of God, the more sure word of prophecy, when that came, those gifts went away. All this took place during a 40-year period of time, so that by 70 A.D., the gifts had gone, the scriptures were coming together, they'd been written, and then Jesus Christ buried the old covenant. He buried it under the Roman armies. And it was all over. There was no temple. There was no priesthood. There was nothing. It was over. Completely over. And it had been prophesied for 40 years before it actually happened. So that all the Gentiles were waiting for it to happen. And the Jews that believed. So during this period of time when there's no New Testament, there is an Old Testament. What commandments of that Old Testament did the Holy Ghost by James lay on these Gentile converts for the time then present? These are matters of liberty now. How do we know they're matters of liberty? This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 takes meats offered to idols and makes it a matter of liberty. 
And then he writes an epistle back to them. The Apostle Paul changes this first requirement. Verse 29, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, listen, if you're in the meat market and there's a chunk of meat hanging there and there's a good possibility that might have been offered to idols, just go ahead and buy it and don't ask any questions for conscience sake. If, un- if, if unbelievers bid you to a feast and there's meat there that's probably offered to an idol, eat it. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. Because if you ask a question, then you know it was offered to an idol, then your conscience has to make a decision whether you, isn't that wisdom? Don't ask any questions. But now if somebody says this meat is offered to an idol, then don't eat. The Apostle Paul, and I've taught that passage before, it's 1 Corinthians 10. But notice the change, brethren. That's why I'm telling you these are matters of liberty, except one of them. Can you guess which one of them is not a matter of liberty? Beautiful. Because what does the Apostle Paul say about fornication in all of his epistles? This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Because fornication was rampant among the Gentiles. How often is the word fornication mentioned in your New Testaments? Over and over and over. Every list of offenses has fornication in it. It was very popular among those Gentile nations and cities, as it is in our country at this time. And so, with the Old Testament, where Jews had been taught the sacred institution of marriage, remember that. All that existed was the Old Testament. Jews were well established in honoring the institution of marriage, and there were many provisions made for anyone messing around before marriage. Are you familiar with all those Old Testament laws? Now remember, you have Gentiles being converted who lived in an atmosphere that fornication was okay. It was a matter of liberty. So which one? what what is pulled out of that Old Testament and set on those Gentiles? Fornication. That's the one thing that he pulls forward and mentions. The other three are matters of liberty. Blood, strangled meat, and meat offered to idols. Those three are matters of liberty that, that no longer apply to us. This is for the time of Reformation. The eating of raw meat with raw blood, the way that the Gentiles would, like pagans, which they were until they were converted, was so different than the Jews that in order to avoid this incredible difference, you know, how would you like to come over from my house for supper after the morning service? And so the Jewish family comes over, and you know, here's this Gentile pagan family. They just rip something out of the yard and start gnawing on it with blood squirting everywhere. Pagans! Blood? Strangled? You know, the Jews had a long time cut and slashed their animals so that the blood would run out. Remember cutting the throat and letting all the blood into a basin with the Passover lamb. Very careful rules about the the letting out of the blood of the animals in the Old Testament. Those of you who are doing your duty and reading through Leviticus know all about what I'm talking about. You've read it. But these pagans had no regard for any of that because God, in the ceremonial laws of the Jews, was pointing out the importance of blood. The importance of blood. The importance of blood. The importance of blood. Now, do we need to worry about the importance of blood now? We have seen the importance of blood because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us in fulfillment of all that care for blood in the past. But during this time of Reformation, remember, when the apostles would go to a city, they went into a synagogue. 
in the synagogue were Jews that would be converted and there would be Gentiles converted. The two of them would end up living together in the church of Jesus Christ in that city. And in order to avoid great offense, would you Gentiles mind if you wouldn't strangle your animals but cut them and let them bleed? Would you Gentiles mind that you don't have to have any blood milkshakes with your meals? Okay, I mean, I'm just I'm being graphic to help you understand the point for these poor Jewish brethren that would be appalled right. if they saw the way a Gentile ate by nature. And then meat offered to idols. I mean, these poor Jews who had always worshipped the true and living God of the Bible to watch this Gentile just walk down there nonchalant. You know, here's this great big idol. The priest is still chanting over a piece of meat. And the Gentile pulls out a few bills, buys it, and goes home and eats it. Do you know what that would do to a Gentile, I mean, a Jewish mind? It'd kill him. That's exactly what the Bible says. It'd kill him. By your knowledge, your poor brother perisheth, who can't handle you eating meat offered to an idol. So for this time, the Lord, the Holy Ghost, by James, is very merciful to these Jews and says, let's not eat meat offered to idols, no blood, nothing strangled, and please keep yourselves from fornication. If you'll keep yourselves from these things, you'll do well. Fare ye well. It's a wonderful letter. It's a wonderful letter. And the Apostle Paul's changing it just ten years later about the things offered to idols. Verse 30, so when they were dismissed, who was dismissed? Paul and Barnabas from this council. When they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Can you imagine the consolation? What if you had just been told... Read this for your reading while I'm gone. Leviticus. You've got to keep that in order to be saved. And Paul comes back and says, all you have to do is cut your meat, don't strangle it, don't eat blood, stay away from fornication, don't eat meat offered to idols. Would that console your hearts? Amen. What does it say? They rejoiced Amen. for the consolation. Yep. They rejoiced for the consolation, that Jesus Christ was still their Savior, and they didn't have to be circumcised and keep the whole law. Amen. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. They confirmed them in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would have had to have been by inspiration, right. because it wasn't written yet. And so these prophets used their ministry for the benefit of those brethren in Antioch. And after they had tarried there a space, that is, Judas and Silas, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. After Antioch had had them preaching there for a while, they said, okay, we're content, we're satisfied, you've confirmed the message, we believe you, thank you for being here and preaching for us, you can go back to Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Holy Ghost leading these men. Judas goes back. Silas stays there in Antioch. Do we need Silas there in Antioch? Yep. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Wow! What a church! Paul and Barnabas and Silas with many others also. And according to Galatians 2, Peter was one of them. Because Peter came up there. You can go read about him. What a church. What a blessing. 
And from Antioch of Syria, forget Athens, Greece. Forget Alexandria, Egypt. Forget Rome, Italy. You want to talk about an important city in the world? In this time of the, in this time of the world's history? Antioch in Syria. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Isn't this a precious history? Isn't that a personal statement right there? Paul wants to go and visit all those cities and churches that he'd established with Barnabas where they had preached before, and let's see how they're doing. The tender care of, a, of an evangelist for the people that he converted. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Do you remember anything about him? Amen. Who was they? He left them. His mother was Mary. Mary was Barnabas's sister. John Mark was Barnabas's nephew. So there's a little nepotism here, a little protection of his nephew. They took him on their first trip that began in the first verses of Acts 13. But we read in Acts 13, 13 that John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. He didn't go back to Antioch, and I've pointed this out before. He went back to Jerusalem because that's where Mama was. He did not stay and persevere with Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul, in verse 38, we read, Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Now you say, well, Paul sounds kind of hard. Well, do you know what kind of worker Paul was? I labored more abundantly than they all. And when he wasn't preaching by day, he was making tents by night, so that he never charged a church so so that he could show people how to work. He was one diligent man. And he did not appreciate the fact that he and Barnabas were doing the work and John Mark was simply along to help them and to be to be their minister, their minister. And he quit in the middle of a task. And so Paul thought it not good to take him with them. Verse 39, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Barnabas takes his nephew and goes to Cyprus. Remember, that's where Paul and Barnabas had started that first trip in the island of Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, and we have this testimony of the Word of God, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. The brethren recommended Paul and Silas for the work that they were going to. This contention, Barnabas doesn't tell us much about it, except that Barnabas must have left in a huff with John Mark but it tells us that the brethren of that church, led by the Holy Ghost, commended, recommended Paul and Silas to the work, to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And because you have a map now, you're going to be able to know where Syria and Cilicia are. That is Acts chapter 15. Brethren, I hope you can see in that the mercy of God toward us Gentiles, that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, even the Jews can be saved. Even the Jews can be saved, even as we. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that you're thankful this night to see the blessing of God and how the Lord defended those Gentiles in that council, that all he put upon them was, could you take it easy with the blood and the strangled meat and the meat offered to idols and stay away from fornication? That's all. Fare ye well. May the Lord have a blessing upon all of us.